the Fandalites. We're trying to read all the Animorph books. I'm one of the human hosts, Jenna. That's all I'm going to tell you about me. Hi, Brent. Hello. This is book 51, The Absolute. While scoping out a train transporting a tank, Marco and the others discover some rogue morphers, controlled humans with the morph ability. Marco hijacks the tank and they escape. Back at the camp, Jake sends Marco, Axe, and Tobias on a finesse mission to convince the governor that aliens, invasion, danger, etc., etc., etc. They go to the gardens to get duck morphs for long-distance flight and run into more controlled morphers. But that's fine! After some hijinks, they corner the governor, her husband, and their bodyguards and reveal the truth, except that one of the guards and her husband are both controllers. It turns into a shootout, but the governor is steely and keeps up with the Animorphs just fine. They get her back to her mansion and she marshals some literal forces, National Guard troops that have been training in the desert for 12 days so they can't be hosts. Some Yurk-controlled forces show up at the mansion, but the governor escapes with a trusted commander. Back at the camp, we learn that hundreds of National Guards were in the Yurk pool about to be made hosts when the auxiliary Animorphs and the trusted guard that the governor rallied showed up and saved the day. They then see a news report with the governor announcing that the world is under attack from alien invasion, and now the whole world knows. It's popping off, Brent. How are you doing? Hey, I'm so, Brent. I'm centering myself, man. I'm centering myself. I'm... Okay, good. I, I was I was caught off guard because I was busy looking up who the governor of California was when this was published. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <clears throat> uh, before we go too much farther, this book was ghostwritten by Lisa Harkrater, who also wrote books 44 and 49. Her website is ldharkrater.com, and her most recent is a children's book titled Librarians of the Galaxy. So, wow, it's on. It's on as of the end of this book. Oh my god, and I'm both excited and also, it, I, it. we've reached a tipping point where things are going so fast after going so slow for so long. And I'm really excited that every single book comes with this escalation, but I also know that it's going to end soon and that that escalation has to ramp up so fast to get there. Yeah, it is. Um, uh, I can't fucking wait for the next one. This is legitimately the end here of the series is the most on tenterhooks I've been since early on in the series. Now that we know it's getting close to the end, I think is also part of it, is like we know that the governor announcing that the Yorks are invading is a real thing and not going to be like edited out in the next book or something like that. Uh, and I did look it up while you were doing your intro. Um, <laughs> I know Mark Marco was hoisted by his own chauvinism, and that was, haha. <laughs> oh, Marco didn't think the governor could be a woman. Uh, yes. I I really was hoping while I was reading this that Arnold Schwarzenegger had been the governor during this period <laughs> and they would be able to recruit him with an extended gearing up scene in like like in Commando to to lock fists and and go fight the aliens uh maybe in the jungle maybe he'd bring Jesse the body Ventura and Carl Weathers with him. <laughs> <laughs> but he wasn't governor until 2003, so the best um, they could hope for was to get Gray Davis's corgis to help them fight, which I would still take. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I don't think they could have done better than the governor that's actually in this book, who is, like, super on board with what's happening. <laughs> like, and, like, there's the, the, the natural, like, transition period where they're convincing her, but once she knows, she's like, all right, uh, shit's gonna get real serious, let's jump off a bridge. <laughs> That's true. This is Governor Rachel. That's Yeah, she really is. I really liked the moment towards the end when they're like, Marco's like, yeah, uh, we met the governor and she <laughs> is really cool. And Rachel's like, our governor's female? That's so great. And Marco tries to stick it to her like, yeah, you didn't think she could be a woman. But Rachel's just like so mesmerized that the leader of their state is a woman. I That was such a nice, good moment. On, on the one hand, I'm sort of disappointed that none of the Animorphs are aware of who their state government uh, well, is. But yeah. on the other hand, 
uh, they have a lot going on. They have a lot going on. <laughs> they, they may not even have been attending uh, school on a regular basis during the last election, depending on when it was. Yeah, yeah. And and they also are like 13, 14. So I I kind of forgive them. I Okay, I'll say this. I, Axe is off the hook for not who, knowing who the governor is because he is an alien and probably maybe doesn't even know what a governor really is. Marco and Tobias did not know, and they didn't, like, look it up or do any research. Tobias has been a bird for quite a while. Yep, also a great excuse. Marco Mm -hmm. is just a dweeb, I guess. Marco is Marco. (laughs) And yeah, it's on him for not looking it up, but I feel like Axe has known Marco long enough that he probably should have known that he Mm. needed to get on his iMac that he bought on Rachel's credit card and (laughs) look it up himself, because Marco's not going to. Yeah, I think we can both agree that if Cassie had been on the finesse team, she would have been prepared. Yeah. But she wasn't. She wasn't on the finesse team. (laughs) That's true, because Jake can't trust her anymore. Uh, Which is terrible and heart-wrenching to read. But on the other hand, she is basically directly responsible for the first couple chapters of this book, where... Tobias and Marco have to dodge morphine controllers. Yeah, which is, I want to circle back and talk about Jake and Cassie, but the fact that there are controlled hosts that can morph now is terrifying. I hate it. I I hate it too. So do the Animorphs. And in fact, fucking (laughs) Tobias even says he sort of feels sorry for Visser 3, uh, Visser 1 now. Um, b- because now he knows how he felt this whole time, like looking out the corner of his eye at every fucking weird animal that showed up. Yeah, it's so true that it's suddenly like way more nerve wracking when they confront animals, which they do a lot. But <laughs> <laughs> but also, I I know we both agree it's absolutely insane that they go to the gardens to get ducks. A duck. It's fucking bananas. They live in the middle of the woods. <laughs> yeah. And instead yeah. of going to literally any pond, any body of water, any <laughs> park, they're like, nah, we got to go to the known Animorphs uh, a DNA resource and amusement park, the gardens. We'll get ducks there and we got to do it with an Andalite in broad daylight and we got to do it by like hunching in the water and just grabbing mm. a duck. Yeah, like, making a huge old ruckus. Ducks are not hard to pull. No, absolutely. You have if you have a fistful of dirty bread, a duck will climb into your lap and kiss your face. Ah, yes, they say, <laughs> motherfucking breadcrumbs. <laughs> it's like it's like one of the known qualities of ducks is it does not take much to pull a duck. <laughs> you don't have to catfish them; they're very easy to get. <laughs> Although, if you did catfish them, they'd probably still be into you when they show up because ducks are weird, <laughs> fucking rapists and necrophiliacs. Yeah, they're a horrible species, but they're also everywhere. And you can just find them. And mm-hmm. so the fact that they went to an exotic animal zoo to get ducks is, is Brent, it's why this was the wrong choice for the finesse team. <laughs> it's the first of 12 reasons why this is, they are the bad finesse team. I, I have an argument in favor of Marco being on the finesse team, but being in charge of the finesse team, he should not. <laughs> I mean, the book opens with him stealing a tank and driving it down the highway, which is another great extension of the Marco being a bad driver trope. But, which I honestly didn't pick up on because I was so busy being irritable about the fact that, like, Steel Battalion didn't even come out until later. There's no way that his fucking PlayStation game included the in- unit controls etc because <laughs> i apparently am awful at uh, tank commando or just awful in general no just awful in general okay. the first thing i did was get mad about video games jesus christ <laughs> i'm in my 30s <laughs> circling back let's talk about jake and cassie because oh man damn damn 
Damn, it, like at when they're when they're they're at the war council and they're talking through this plan, and Cassie's like, "Yeah, I'll go and talk to the governor," and Jake's like, "No, I need somebody I can trust." Oh, damn. cold as fucking ice. Holy hell, Jake! Yeah, he's just like, all new morph. Uh, who dis? <laughs> yeah, he is so icy to poor sweet Cassie. And I, I think he still can trust her, although although the Yurks do have morphing technology now, so maybe not. Yeah, I can sort of see why Jake doesn't think he can trust her, because yeah. Zero gifted like FTL technology to Yurks, and his entire species knows that as Zero's folly. Cassie allowed morphing to fall into the hands of the Yurks, which is like Zero's double fuck-up. Could it, uh, is this like Cassie's kindness is like the cruel, ironic thing the, Ana, uh, the Andalites are going to call this moment of her not letting Jake kill his brother? No, I think they're going to call it Cassie's double fuck up because it's not like she intended this outcome. She Cassie's just, mercy. She just ensured it with her choices. I'm trying to think of a punchier name, Brent. You have to help me. I think Cassie's mercy is the one I'm landing on. It Cassie's mercy, and now Tobias is being forced to empathize with Vizzer 1. It's a bad day. Yeah, well, I mean, it is a bad day. That's inarguable. <laughs> uh, the, the, the National Guard is rolling up on the fucking Adams Family Governor's Mansion. Uh, which, what, what is the... We never really got any payoff for that. <laughs> yeah, I assume the payoff is that the governor is badass, and I love her, and she's uh, my favorite character in these books now. And that's part of it. She's steely-eyed, she's strong, she's got her shit together, and she lives in a dope Adams Family mansion. <laughs> okay, so you think it's specifically... I think uh, it's pure character You think it's specifically to Jenna. Yes, specifically me, Jenna, no last name. <laughs> yes, it, it's pandering to me and Rachel. Well, definitely Rachel. <laughs> because the governor is Rachel. She even says, let's do it at one I point. I know, that was such a good moment. And I think Tobias and Marco like share a glance because they know. It, it, Marco actually described himself as having a... a vision of the governor in her youth and she looks like rachel uh it's so good it really makes me <laughs> it, it, that combined with the end scene where rachel's like our governor's a woman makes me feel like maybe rachel could be a governor someday if she hadn't been absolutely destroyed by this war i would say oh. she'd be a great governor but as she is uh any of them are gonna bring a lot of baggage Especially now that the war is public, they're probably still going to have to keep fighting until it's done. And that could be decades. I mean, it could be. This may say more about my politics than anything, but Cassie's the only one I think would make a great governor. Oh, no, I think that's fair. I think Rachel, if you smooth off her edges, which the war has done the opposite of, <laughs> if you smooth off her edges, like if she had been allowed to grow up naturally i do think she would have been this kind of leader like i think she could have gone on to political office yeah although honestly i think we really what we need is a rachel cassie tag team oh god we need rachel to run roughshod over the fuckers who get in the way and we need cassie yeah. to say well it doesn't matter this is what's right yeah that would be such a good combo oh my god, god. i would so disappointed is there a Greek word for governance by Rachel and Cassie? <laughs> I don't think there is. What would it be called, though, Brent? You probably know more Latin than I do. If you have a Latin root, that would be good. Uh, I would just say Rachel Cassiocracy. Okay. You're the one well, who took, like, coin Greek I or something. I did take ancient Greek. That's true, but... I took nothing. I took, I took a semester of Mandarin. For some reason, okay, that's great. That's great, Brent. <laughs> I didn't know that about you, but that's wonderful. Oh, I loved it. I wish that I could have just pursued that instead of technology, but there's... <laughs> no dice. Are Jake and Cassie broken up now? Do you think? I honestly, I think that depends on how much patience Cassie has. Oh, that's fair. I mean, she's she's pretty patient. The thing is, Jake is really mad at her right now, and he has 
honestly every right to be. I mean, the that last book was all about Cassie propping Jacob as the leader, and then it ends with her undercutting his decision not to stop Tom, which I think is the ultimate thing that he's upset about. Well, and so that's, we talked about this last episode. It makes sense that she stopped him from killing Tom. Yeah. What we didn't get was why the method she chose to do that with was letting Tom escape with the Escafil device. I still frustrated. I'm also frustrated that that book ended with, this is a good thing, when I don't think anything in this book makes that f- true. Like, I don't, I, I think the book, it, the things that happen in this book, if there weren't controlled morpher, controlled hosts morphing, would be the same. You know, maybe it's just because I really like stories that end on an inescapably bleak note, but I... Yeah. <laughs> I, I I still maintain that that was Cassie desperately trying to convince herself that she didn't fuck up doubly. Yeah, and in hindsight, I have to agree with you. Having finished this book, I think you're right. <laughs> well, you know, like I said last episode, it's a good thing this book has a different writer. I guess that, yeah, there's really no other way of reading that ending having read this book. So time made a fool out of me, Brent. You win. I take no joy in that, strangely. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate uh. that. Uh, the, the second half of this book is like one extended action chase scene. Yeah, and and we don't have to get into it a lot because it's essentially like every mission that I have ever played in a Saints Row game. Uh, <laughs> the, the Animorphs are basically at three stars permanently, in terms of heat, and they can only go up from there. Whenever they leave Cassie's, not Cassie's barn, whenever they leave the hork Valley, uh, yeah. they, they immediately draw helicopters and tanks and shit. Yeah, and that's a, a huge part in their fault, because they keep going back to the gardens for shit. Like, the yeah. garden's done. The garden is over with, Marco. It's fucking burned, man. It's Miami. That's, that's a joke that two people will get. And I love both of you. Oh, that's sweet. Uh, let's jump back for a second. Okay. And talk about how Tom totally punked out and brought <sighs> the Escaville device back to Visser 1. What a weenie. I really thought that Tom's Yurk was more ambitious than this, but no. No, Tom's Yurk just brought that fucking morph cube right back to Visser 1 and said... Yo, Visser One, don't decapitate me today, please. Decapitate <laughs> me later, because that's right? definitely going to happen. Yeah, yeah. There's no winning with Visser One. It's just delaying your own I- execution. And that's what he did. I can't believe he did it either. I can't I'm, believe that's how that ended. The only way to keep yourself from getting executed by Visser One is to is keep to yourself become? as far away from Visser One as possible. Oh, I thought you were going to say to become Visser One. Nah, which... man, just stay in the Yerk Pool. Visser One doesn't <laughs> cut off the heads of people who are in the Yerk Pool. The whole Yerk Peace movement is safe. Uh, yeah, that's true. Um, and this book raised questions that we've sort of discussed in the past about how morphing works when you have a parasite in your brain. Yeah, I know we talked about this a little before we started recording. Yeah, because it's definitely like the human body is the one that gets the morphing capability. Like, I don't think the Yerks, although that it is what they should do. The Yerks should just press their bodies against the cube and then be Yerk morphers. And then they wouldn't need humans. Well, that's the obvious solution, but they're yes. all in the death cult. <laughs> Yeah, that's okay. That's fair. I mean, remember that was uh, Aftran's endgame was was just becoming a knocklet of a whale. Uh, if if the Death Cult wasn't the the only like society available to Yerks in this sector of the galaxy, then Aftran wouldn't have had to become a knocklet. She just could have been like a Yerk that every couple hours changed into something else. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. I really think it would be interesting if the twist was that the morphing technology, when the Yerks were exposed to it, fundamentally changed the society in such a way that they're like, no, we don't have to control people anymore. We can just become literally any human or animal that we want and, I guess, abandon our Yerk bodies for that existence. That's not what they do. <laughs> They don't even have to abandon their Yerk bodies as long as they, they only do it morph. two hours at a time. 
Yeah, it seems like a pretty straightforward solution to literally this entire war, because then they don't need to be parasites anymore. Right. The The problem, of course, is that the people that are in charge here are the, yeah. the, 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 the quote-unquote Yurk Empire that were the ones that broke away from the planet and decided they should take everybody by force. Yeah, it's not even about the bodies anymore. It's just about the domination. Bummer. But it, it raises questions about how the human body morphing affects the yerk. Because is the yerk part of that morph? Like, it, are they morphing? It, like, if I'm a controlled host and I morph a rhinoceros, am I just one rhinoceros with no yerk in my brain and I'm just two consciousnesses in that one body? Or am I a rhinoceros with a yerk in my brain? I thought that in the book where Cassie first befriended Aftran that we it was established that when you morph the yerk stays a yerk it's just the host body that morphs which would imply that the the host body has a minimum size it can get to in terms of morph uh okay. before the yerk can no longer fit in the skull so no no cockroaches no ants not even any hammerhead sharks <laughs> yeah. Okay. That also raises questions, though, because they get they are attacked by like eagles, and I feel like an eagle brain, even a golden eagle brain, which is a, a large bird, is pretty small. But I guess we've also I have I have uh, I have recently adjusted my concept of how large the yurks are based on watching the first episode of the Animorphs TV show because I bought it on Amazon for three dollars. <laughs> no, no, no. You bought the first season for two dollars. Yes. Don't yes, get it I twisted. Not... <laughs> the seasons are available for two dollars a piece. I have also bought them. <laughs> this is probably investment. happening, fans. Uh, uh. <laughs> in one way or another, at some point, it's probably happening because it was uh. four fucking dollars. Yeah, I had to stop myself from watching more of them because it it really it really scratched an itch I didn't know I had. <laughs> but the Yurks in the show are much much smaller than I was envisioning them. They are just like they're like cockroach size, basically, maybe a little bit bigger. I was always in picturing Yurks like like full size banana slug, like real meaty. Mm-hmm. slugs yeah and that that would not work with a golden eagle brain no i, I don't think it would no now but we, uh, yeah that's a we good never pool. have confirmation you're right we never have confirmation that it's not the the yurks themselves that have become more capable but well in the zoo though in the zoo they're attacked by like a guard who morphs oh yeah that's true yeah and it would make but- sense that they would make their hosts morph capable so that they could go around incognitus and yeah. then and then change into animals or whatever. I think your I think your point about uh, Aftran talking about the size. I think that's I think that's probably accurate. I think probably they are smaller than I've been picturing and they are just the human body is morphing around the yerk. That's not very satisfying, but I think it's probably the truth. It's horrifying if they try to morph something too small for them to still fit in the skull. Yeah, it raises questions like if there's not enough synapses left for the Yerk to connect to, is that just suddenly a free human who's part cockroach and suddenly in control of their body again? No, I I think it means that there's the corpse of a cockroach with a Yerk exploded (laughs) out of its head. But it's super hard to kill cockroaches. Marco told us that a whole bunch in this book. That's true. I don't... I I have no fucking idea if Marco's right. But even if he is, uh, the point is the Yurik explodes out the head, I think. Yeah, that's fair. That's not a good look. If the Yurik explode out the head in space. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) (sighs) So... There is a point in this, uh, Marco does a, an almost cartoonish fake out with one of the bird yurks, uh, where he exposes himself as a bird in front of like a pipe that the, the bird can't see and it flies into it at the last minute. And then yeah. Tobias does sort of a callback to that later when he fakes being disabled on a roller coaster track at the gardens until the last minute and i do want to point out that 
1999 was the year that Fabio was hit in the face by a goose <laughs> on a roller coaster. <laughs> and this book was was written after that. Oh my god. Uh, just as a gift to myself, I'm going to look that up. The picture of that real quick. Just as a present for me. <laughs> so fucking good. Oh my god. Uh, yeah, March 30th, 1999. God, somebody got a tattoo of that picture. It's horrible. That's... I bet something may regret in hell year 2019, actually. I hope they don't. I hope they're proud of it today as they were the day they got it. I mean, it certainly harkens back to a simpler time. Yeah, that's a great callback. If we couldn't have Schwarzenegger, at least we got Fabio uh, goose-faced. I mean, Golden Eagle-faced, I think. But That's, yeah, sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but yeah, pretty certain, pretty certain this was written with full knowledge that... that Fabio had gotten hit in the face with a goose on a roller coaster. Great. Good. I hope so. There are no there are no auxiliary animorphs on the War Council. We mentioned the War Council earlier. It was just the Animorphs and Ava. Yeah, that's weird. Not even James was there. Yeah, that was super curious to me. I mean, I appreciate that they're trying to keep the inner core. It was also weird to me that it was them and just Ava. Like, it was just the Animorphs and Ava. There were no other parents, no other, like, Toby. Was Toby there? I don't think Toby, Toby was, was there. there. Toby, Toby was, was okay. There. Okay, that makes sense. Because Toby volunteered Toby, the Hork-Bajir. That's right. Uh, yeah. I think Ava was only there because of the intelligence that she could provide. I assume you're right, but that it's sort of weird that they also didn't have, like, Marco's dad, who's, like, their tech guy. I mean, Axe is their tech guy. Yeah, okay, that's fair. Well, although, you know, Marco's dad has taught him a thing or two. That's true. He literally that's has. True. That's canon. Marco's dad did discover so. Z-Space. <laughs> yep, all by himself. Yes, it's great man theory. And Marco's dad is the great man. <laughs> who is definitely over his second wife, who is now a controller. Oh my god, Nora is, yeah. Marco, I thought for sure Marco was going to mention Nora in this book, because he mentioned talks a little bit about how happy and blissful he is that his parents are back together. Yeah, and they're and so like, in love. Oh my god. Disgustingly in love. Yeah, it is disgusting. Dude moved on and got married, and his wife got taken over by <sighs> aliens, and he just sort of went back to Ava. I mean, does Ava know? Does Ava know? She has to know. Does Ava know? I. That's a great fucking question. I want her to know. I want this to be an informed situation, even though I think that also makes her kind of dubious. There is no fucking template for this type of situation. Yeah. That was the problem. Like, there's, that's fair. There's literally nothing that either of them could do in this situation that would feel not gross. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they just need to talk it through, there's and a, maybe they have. There's an Australian TV show, Glitch, um, which is very good. Uh, I haven't watched the second season yet, but the first one I'm I'm really into, uh, where a bunch of people come back to life, like dig themselves out of their graves uh, from various points in history in this small town, and one of them is the wife of the police chief who she died like... A year ago, and he's now married to her best friend. Wow. Wow. Because I guess they, like, I guess they sort of really grew together in their grief over losing uh, her. Like, they were both a mess. A point is, like, she's pregnant now, but also his old <laughs> wife, who he's still very much in love with, is back. And it's, it's, it's a mess. There's no, there's no solution. That's a great plot, actually. That's a great setup. It's on Netflix. Character dynamics. Okay, uh, that sounds great. It's on Netflix. I, it's very good. Yeah, I guess it's fair that they sort of need to. F I mean, Nora's gone, so I guess there's no reason for them to not be together. But she's like not gone though. She's enslaved. Uh, she's no longer like an, a viable option. Things will get awkward, I guess, if they ever free her. My guess is Marco won't let that happen. Oh God, that's dark. Yeah. yeah sorry. That's you think true. So? I think if, yeah, kind of, yeah. Mm. I think I think he's so happy that his parents are back together and everything's good for them, kind of. 
I I think I don't think he'd like I don't think Marco would like kill Nora, but I think if it came down to a hard decision, it wouldn't it wouldn't be that hard. I think if if Cassie's still around, mm. I don't think she would let Marco let Nora stay a controller if he had the option to to get her not controlled. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Because they're buddies and Cassie is sort of his conscience. Yeah, she's sort of everybody's conscious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Although she yeah. she did she did double fuck up last book in the manner of Ciro. Yep, she did show Cassie's mercy. I that's you know, you're trying to make that a thing. I don't <laughs> think it's I don't think it's going to be a thing. Uh, why don't we have a Twitter poll? We should Let our fans we, decide. we should get some suggestions because Oh, okay, yeah, we can do that, too. To me, Cassie's kindness sounds better. We can't use kindness, because Sarah already did, but I I'm like saying, the alliteration. Yeah, that's true. I think Cassie... Okay, we'll, we'll set up a Twitter poll. Cassie's mercy, Cassie's whatever your thing is. Cassie's and then, double fuck up. And then a write-in option, if somebody has a better idea. Okay, definitely we, definitely we will. I will 100% actually remember to do this when this is posted <laughs> on Friday, and not blow it off until somebody messages me because I totally forgot. <laughs> uh, and then Sounds do it. Sounds like a plan. Yeah. I'm an adult. Um, anything else from this book, Brent? So I was a little surprised that Marco was unwilling to just demorph on the dance floor given that uh, the finesse team up to that point <laughs> had really kind of had the gentle touch of a wrecking ball. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, and it's and as it turns out, waiting until they were in a conference room to demorph didn't actually make it any less of a disaster. Yeah, things escalated almost immediately. I still think it was like a good idea to try to isolate the governor. I, I think there's because if her if her husband hadn't been controlled, they would have gotten away with it. Because they did spot the guard, the one guard that was a controller. Marco did a good job spotting him. If it wasn't for you meddling kids. <laughs> basically. Basically. I think they yeah, were really close. They they did come really close. And and they and Marco spotted technically he yeah. spotted her husband being a controller too, just yes. a couple minutes too late. Yeah. And I, I think the their their goal wasn't necessarily to expose this to the entire world. I think they wanted to contact the governor specifically because they were worried about the National Guard presence. And they knew they knew that the governor wasn't a controller because the entire National Guard hadn't been deployed, only bits and pieces. So I, I think uh, exposing the Yerk invasion and the reality of that sort of a necessary consequence of contacting the governor, though. Like, it's going to happen one way or the other, so what does it matter if it happens right now at the fundraiser or later when the governor gives an address? Well, I think the thing that happened is what they were trying to avoid, which was a massive shootout during which the governor might have been killed and really fucked with their plans. And then later, like, they do get surrounded by uh, rogue-controlled forces that very easily, again, could have put the kibosh on everything. They were really lucky that there was a commander and his team that had been in the desert for 12 days, because uh, otherwise, I think... They couldn't have really trusted very many people, and they needed they needed to immediately because they were surrounded. And also, that state trooper Ronald McDonald had been in Paris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No Yorks in Paris, I guess. That was a little bit dicey, but okay. <laughs> the, yeah. the point is, I They're think grasping they wanted at some straws, but I I understand why. I think they wanted to better control the moment of reveal. And I think they did somewhat, but they they were trying to not tip their hand immediately to all the Yerks. And that didn't go as planned, but that didn't mean that their decision to wait to talk to the governor in a smaller group was a bad one. I mean, I get that. I just, based on how slapdash the whole rest of their quote-unquote plan was Which here. Which is unbelievably slapdash, yeah. Yeah, where like, uh, gov where does the governor live? I don't know. What's the governor's name? We didn't bother to look. Yeah, yeah. You know, they did one thing right, and it didn't pan out, but I'm glad that they did it. They just, they should have checked their wanted writing before they exited <laughs> their hideout. That's, that was their big mistake. Yeah, that was their one big mistake. You want to do some Z-Space transmissions? Oh, yeah. Okay, so we have one. Uh, we've been putting it off for a couple episodes so that I could put together a spreadsheet and some pivot tables. 
Mm. <laughs> great. This is great podcasting material. Are you going to, how are you, are you going to give people access to these pivot tables? By which I mean both me and also the internet. Well, you already have access because they're in the Fandalites oh, are account. Oh, they in the Fandalites folder? Okay. Yeah, they're, they're, they're in the Fandalites uh, G drive. Uh, and the fans may, maybe, but I'm not like proud of these because I'm not a pivot table expert so i'm a little embarrassed by the fumbling freshman attempts at these God, this is beautiful this c-space transmission is from uh john john writes hi brent and jenna now that the books have moved out of the established pattern it had for most of the series jake rachel tobias slash axe cassie marco do you think there is a meaning to that order intentional or otherwise I have thought about this a lot, and the only thing that made sense to me was that the characters are in order of their commitment to an eventual consumption by war. Jake mm. and Rachel are both transformed the most by war, but whereas Rachel comes into her own, arguable, Jake <laughs> is withdrawing from himself. See how Rachel and Tobias move forward despite being different species now, whereas Jake and Cassie sputter out with fewer slash no barriers. Arguable. Tobias and Axe are the midpoint here. Their commitment to the war is never in question, but it consumes them less. Tobias is committed to saving Earth, but like Cassie, has ethical compunctions. Axe has fewer compunctions, but I feel like it is easier for him to fall back into the role of a soldier following orders, rather than it being something that haunts him. Cassie and Marco are much more detached. Cassie is the one who actually leaves at times, but she is pulled in by her sense of obligation to the world, which Marco feels less so. If the Andalites were to show up and offer to take over, Cassie would want to have a say in how things are done, whereas Marco would be happy to hand it over if he thought they could get the job done. Or was it all just narrative, and it just worked out in the first five books that it made sense for it to have this order? Anyway, let me know if you want to talk about which magic colors fit each character. Best. John. <laughs> I do want to talk about what magic colors fit each character. No, wait. I want you and John to talk about that. I feel like our buddy Weston is going to be more qualified ah. for this than me, because I haven't really played since the Portal starter set uh, in high school. Yeah, I also have not played since middle school. Well, we can maybe we can West it on to guest star. Shit, we can get him to reply on Twitter at least. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's a good call. Uh, I like this argument. I think part of the reason why the books are ordered the way they are initially is because, at least for Rachel, I think her book has to come at that moment because that's the plot arc of the first handful is her and Melissa's relationship and them approaching Chapman's house, which, by the way, gets destroyed by a tank in this book. We're assured that Fluffer McKitty is okay, and Fluffer McKitty fucking better be. Yeah, that poor sweet cat. Fluffer and McKitty never hurt anyone except maybe some shrews. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I appreciate that Rachel was angry at Marco for destroying her friend's house. Because Not that quite angry as she should have been, but I appreciate that she at least was like, yes. Tobias, you went along with this? Yeah, you could have left it literally anywhere, but now my friend's homeless, so great fucking job. Uh, but I feel like her book has to come at that moment because that's how the arc of the first five books kind of rolls out. Uh, but also, I'm looking at your pivot tables, by the way, very nice, well organized. Thank you. Tobias only had six books? Axe also only had six books because, and I didn't realize this until I went through and actually like charted the pattern... Axe and Tobias alternate after Axe shows up. So the oh. pattern goes, Jake, Rachel, either Tobias or Axe, Cassie, Marco. I didn't realize that either. Mm -hmm. I didn't even realize we were getting fewer Tobias books. Yeah, and fewer Axe books. Yes. So That's so weird. I'm going to throw this out there because accepting book 54, which according to Wikipedia is narrated by all of them in the style of Megamorph, uh... I, I, if the pattern had held, then the last book would have been Tobias, because 41, the familiar would have been Jake, and then it would have been Rachel, Tobias, Cassie, Marco, Jake, uh, instead of Axe, Rachel, Axe, Cassie, Marco, Jake, Rachel, Tobias. And I think for, on a gut level, satisfying mm -hmm. uh, symmetry reasons, K. Applegate probably wanted the first and last narrators to be Jake. Yeah, I think that makes sense from a structural point, yeah. And, and so in order for it to end on Jake, the order had to sort of change from the standard uh, J.R. T. or A. C. M. order 
to JRTCMA, JRTCMA. <laughs> yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. I think we do need to end on the same note that we opened on. So I think that makes sense to me. So it's kind of a meta reason, but that that would be my guess. Now, in the course of of putting this together, I did also get some fun stats about the books. Uh, Axe and Tobias both had six books, uh, followed by... Now, if we're going by straight who is supposed to be the narrator, Cassie, Marco, and Rachel tie for the next at ten. But if we're considering the fact that Cassie has two full books where she is not entirely the narrator, and... Marco has part of a book where he, uh, part of Cassie's book, or no, part of Rachel's part book. Part of Rachel's book. Yeah, yeah, and Rachel is missing that part. Then really Marco comes in at next at like ten and a half, followed by Rachel at nine and a half, Cassie at nine, hmm. uh, because Aldrea was the other narrator for uh, her partial book. Okay, that makes sense, yeah. And uh, Jake has the most at 11, which makes sense. That's... Uh, he started us, Yeah. And and also, uh, didn't didn't Kay Applegate and Michael Grant name their kid Jake? Yeah. 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 So. Um, of, okay. Yeah. Of the uh, the number of authors who wrote from the point of view of the different characters, Marco was the most diverse. He had six, counting Kay Applegate and all the ghostwriters, six different hmm. people writing for him. Jeez. Uh, followed by Rachel and Cassie, who tied at five, and then Axe and Jake at four, and Tobias. At three, so Tobias mostly written by K. Applegate. Okay, well, I mean, but that's because he had fewer books. Yeah, well, so did Axe. That's true. Yeah, and he has four. I can see on your very nice pivot table. Uh, yeah, yeah, and if you look at pivot table five here, uh, yes, the the number of unique uh, point of view characters per ghostwriter. Um, we can look at this. K. Applegate mm. obviously wrote from the point of view all, of all six. Laura Batanyi Weiss and uh, Kimberly Morris and Ellen Guru and Lisa Harkrater all had three characters that they did POV for. Now, I didn't do like a cross section of how many books they did. Um, and I, that would be an interesting thing to correlate in there uh, to figure out how many books per per unique narrator per per ghostwriter. Uh most everybody else only wrote for from the point of view of one character, uh, regardless of how many books they did, except Donner, uh, whose first name I have not looked up off the top of my head, uh, who did two. I really want a Nate Silver type in here because I do not have a head for math, and I had to repeat uh, stats in college like four times. Oh, no! Yeah, it, was, it wasn't... Uh, I, think I, I think I spent most of those classes twiddling around with a d20 conversion of final fantasy tactics advance (laughs) so wasted either Um, way yeah i'm i'm both learning a lot about who you were in college but also none of it is new good these are good pivot tables uh and that was a great question from jonathan yeah yeah i it 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 made me actually sit down and uh dig into some stuff and i I never would have thought about the fact that Tobias and Axe have fewer books than everybody else because they share a spot mm. in the rotation uh, if you had pointed it out. So thanks. Yeah, I feel I actually feel a little bad not realizing we only had half POVs for both of them. I, I think I was just so tickled whenever I got to do an Andalite name <laughs> for, for the cold open. <laughs> sure, you were just so distracted. That, that makes sense. Yeah, that's probably it. Uh, so we have uh, another... Z Space Transmission. This one's titled Animorphs Therapy, spoiler free. Uh, from Saphris. Hi, Fandalites. I was excitedly talking with a friend of mine about the podcast and the kinds of themes you bring up, especially the internal struggles of the Animorphs and how they do not have any outlets to vent. That is starting to change slightly with their families and the new Animorphs being around, but my friend brought up a great point. The Chi probably would have been great therapists early on. Their pacifism means they can't take part in battles. But for a while, they were some of the only people the Animorphs could have feasibly talked to. Maybe their drive to prevent harm includes mental and emotional turmoil. Love the podcast. Mm. Excited for the remainder. Safris. I guess, like, in, does encouraging somebody to engage with difficult or stressful thoughts count as harm, even if the end goal is positive? 
so I think probably the Chi are going to be bullshit at this because they've had the entirety <laughs> of their history to learn like real medicine. Uh, but whenever it's brought up, they're like, oh, yeah, I was Louis Pasteur's lab assistant or I was the royal surgeon for King France. What's his fuck? Uh, definitely we should bleed you and probably maybe boil the instruments first. I think God (laughs) smiles on surgery when you boil the instruments. So guaranteed, (laughs) guaranteed, if any of the Chi have any sort of formal, like, therapy training, it's Freudian nonsense. So I was just gonna say. So you think you think one of them, like Cassie, tries to talk to Lord about what they're going through, and she, in Lord, responds, "Oh, I can help. I was Carl Jung's lab assistant." And Cassie's like, "Okay, I'm already. I'm just. I'll talk to a butterfly or something." Yeah. No. Exactly like that. Like, oh, totally. <laughs> I can help. I suggested to Freud that nasal sex is a, a definite cause for. <laughs> I don't know, want to fuck your mom or something. Uh, have some more cocaine. That fixed all our problems. Yeah, and Tobias is like, oh, I've got to, Rachel's thought speaking me, so I've got to bail. <laughs> I've just really got to answer this thought speak. I'm sorry. Thank you. Bye. I've got to wash my feathers. So, yeah, no. I, I, if they're looking for some, like, actual, like, cognitive behavioral therapy or, or a- any sort of actual beneficial therapeutic regimen i don't think the chi are going to be up on that because the chi seem to be perpetually at least 50 to 100 years behind the curve in terms of (laughs) what stuff helps humans yeah that's totally fair i think that's a good it's a good suggestion no it's a great suggestion because honestly even like listening would probably be nice but the chi seem ill-equipped I was going to say indifferent at best to to the needs of humanity. <laughs> They're primarily concerned with dogs, which, like, good looking out, right? I can't That's blame them for dogs that. Dogs don't need therapy. Yeah. I mean, you know, sometimes dogs probably do need therapy, but the Chi are very good at that. I assume it involves, like, throwing ball. Oh, physical therapy. Okay. Yeah, like throwing ball and petting belly. <laughs> like, and now everything's great. So, like, yeah, Rachel would be like, Oh my god, I'm freaking out. And the chi would be like, "You want to throw? You want to chase ball? Do, do you want? Do you want ball?" And Rachel would be like, "I do not want ball. Do you want ball? Do Do you want belly?" And she'd be like, "No. What the fuck? <laughs> this is not helping me. Do you think this is helping me, Lord? <laughs> Eric, do you think this is doing me good?" And Lord would be like, "I don't know. It usually helps patches when she's feeling down." <laughs> Adorable God. Very much so. Uh, <laughs> so no, great thought. Thank you for writing in, Safris. I don't have as much faith in the chi as you do. Uh, we have one more zero space transmission for this episode, uh, and it is re episode forty eight, the Rat King, the Return, uh, from a survivor. A survivor writes, "I read this book at nine years old, which I now know was right as it was published. This was not my favorite book." But it was one of the ones that I read over and over and over mm. because it resonated so much with how I felt about myself in my own life. In the barest of sketches of my childhood, I was a child currently still being abused by a couple of different adult figures in my life emotionally and physically. I was also the oldest of then three children, and I took care of my non-abusive parent. I physically stood between my siblings and the abusers in our lives and had for years. I took physical blows for them and protected them and took care of them up to and including having changed the diapers of one of my siblings at the tender age of four. I I also saw the bright, clear line and had a huge amount of bloodthirst because if everything hurts you, you might as well hit back, right? And I am good at seeing the threads and lines that connected and link people and events. I knew where to punch to get the people hurting me to decide it was too much trouble. If this sounds like a blend of Rachel and Marco, well, yeah. Some lines that resonated with me, I found the PDF online just to link these because I still remember them. Fact, we aren't like other kids. We were once, but never again. After a certain point, you just can't go back to where you started, even if you want to, which I have to admit, I don't. Mm. Was it the grizzly in me that wanted to kill, or was it the me in me? I didn't know. I didn't want to know. But I paid no attention. Nothing could hurt worse than the pain in my head and my heart. 
Sometimes I wonder. Kinder for who? For David or for us? Anyway, I'm the one who morphed a rat and went down into the dirt with David. The one who bit off her own tail to catch him in our makeshift trap. It was a dirty job. Somebody had to do it, and as usual, I'd been the one. I felt like I was watching everyone from behind a plexiglass window. I just wasn't there. I couldn't relate. Not to teachers, the boys, the girls. I couldn't even pretend to relate. Stay calm. Assess before you act. Don't do anything stupid. That last scene where Rachel is a child, sitting there broken, that whole scene hit me so hard it hurt, because I also was a child sitting there broken. For the record, the other book that I read over and over was The Bright Clear Line. Sincerely, Hmm. a survivor. Mm. And I don't think I have anything to add to that. No, other than thank you for sharing. Yes. And I hope you're I hope you're in a safer and healthier place. Yeah, I I don't know what else to say except that it it sounds like Kay Applegate helped someone process uh and and make it through a time that was awful and horrible and that no one should ever have to live through. That was a powerful letter. Well, I think that'll probably do it for this week. Uh, as a reminder, we we're getting uh taking emails now for like after we finish the series. So if you have any things that you want to say about the series as a whole or anything that needs to be read post the end of the book, do send it and do add something in the uh, header that just lets us know, like on the subject line, spoilers, don't read till the end, that sort of thing. Uh, but we are take we're taking those now. So send them fandalize at gmail.com. Yeah, we've got three or four already. If we get enough, there'll probably be a whole episode after we finish. Yes. Uh, of so just send, C-Space send Transmissions. Yeah. Don't worry. We'll still probably do a whole episode of just our, like, recovery. Wrap up. Yeah. Wrap, wrap, wrap up. It's not going to eat into that. It's just a bonus episode, so. Yes. And we also just kind of want to hear your thoughts. Oh, my God. I really do. Uh, the community is uh, incredible in that everybody is still so passionate about this after so many years. Yeah, it's great. It's so good. It really is. Uh, obviously, we were not the only people that this had an incredible effect on in our in our adolescence. Yeah, no kidding. Please, uh, if, if you have any thoughts about the series as a whole, uh, write us, fandalites at gmail.com. Uh, you can hit us up on Twitter at fandalites. Uh, you can visit our sister site at andalitetruth.org. Thank you to Dustin O'Dell for the use of his music for our intro and outro. Uh, we really appreciate it. You can find more of his stuff at dustinodell.bandcamp.com. And uh, until next time, remember, nostalgia is a drug.